Well, I'll uh, never forget a number of years ago, I was uh, flying back to the United States from uh, a mission trip overseas in a, a country that, let's just say, doesn't share a number of aspects of our culture. And this was evident to me, of course, in country, but it was also evident to me when we landed in the United States and we began to deplane. And you know, as Americans, we have certain things we value, like places in line. And if you've never traveled overseas, this may surprise you, there are other countries that do not value things like places in line. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, like after this long international flight, finally landing back home in the U.S. and, you know, the plane pulls up to the gate, you hear the ding, you're waiting for the ding. That means you can get up and get off the plane and the ding goes off. And I remember I stand up and all of a sudden there's all these people from the back of the plane shuffling forward. And, and they were people from the country we were just flying in from and, and I remember, like, I'm, I'm so ready to get off the plane, right? But I, I can't even get into the aisle because all these people are just flooding forward. And, and at first, I'm like, hey, hey, ho, ho, hold up, people. All right? You sat in the back of the plane because you knew that if the plane crashes, the tail's the one thing sticking out of the mountain, right? So... So you bought the safest seats on it, but, but, but all of those of us who took a higher risk, we get off the plane first, okay? That's the trade-off here. And I remember standing there and like literally there's just scores of people, like they're bumping each other, they're moving up. There's no protocol. There's no like, okay, I'm in seat 33, so I have to wait to deplane, you know, until those in row 20 get off. Like none of that. And so I'm standing there for a while and like, you know, some of us kind of looking and the people next to me are like bumping me. Like, you got, you got to make a way. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Right? So there's like, come on. And, and so eventually, like, I just had to like, like, I don't know. It was a little like UFC kind of like WrestleMania. And I'm like, I'm going. And I just jump into the fray and I'm pushing people out. And, and I realized that, that, that these other people weren't being rude. Like, they weren't being selfish. They were just being themselves, <laughs> which wasn't rude or selfish in their culture and their country. That's just kind of how things work. Like they don't do lines, right? And I saw that on the streets because <laughs> everybody's weaving in and out all the time. And there's like, oh, red light, that don't mean nothing. That's just a suggestion, you know? And, and so on the plane, like there's some of us like from our culture that are like, we have this decorum and we have lines. And then there were people from a whole different culture and I realized they weren't being rude or mean or ugly. They were just doing what they knew to do. And that was just one example of many throughout my life where I realized, you know what, like when you're raised in a certain culture and you have a certain value system and you have a certain way of doing things, like when you're placed in another culture, it can be incredibly jarring. You know, and you can even get yourself in a lot of trouble because I'm telling you right now, you pull that in a Chick-fil-A drive-through line, something bad's gonna happen to you. Am I right? Like getting off a plane is one thing, but do not cut in front of me and my chicken nuggets. I'm gonna tell you that right now, okay? Something bad's really gonna happen. And, and so 
We probably don't think enough about just the power of culture and how, how we've been raised with a lot of like just secondary things, the way we live our lives in certain aspects, like how that is so innate to how we live our lives and how if we're just dropped in another country, another culture, like we would feel so out of place. And, um, and, and we, we've been walking through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, church in Philippi, it's a Roman colony located in Greece. And, and as we've seen throughout this letter, and I, and I said, here's what Paul's been saying. If you're a follower of Jesus today, okay, here's God's will for your life now as a follower of Jesus, as a son or a daughter, is that you learn in this world and in this culture what it looks like to embody and live out the value system and the culture of heaven. And it's kind of like a weird twist. We're used to taking our culture, our values, like with us wherever we go, and other people are used to taking their cultures, their values with us wherever they go, right? And sometimes that intermingles, like on a plane, that can be kind of fun or funny or aggravating. <laughs> but what's unique about what we've been learning here in our study of Philippians is Paul's not saying take, take your heavenly values and take your heavenly citizenship somewhere else. What he's teaching us is you have to take what's true of where you're gonna spend eternity and you have to embrace that and actually bring it right to where you are now. And so if you weren't with us this week, let me show you in Philippians three what Paul says. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we're waiting for Jesus to come to us. And by the way, that's the hope of the church. Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds rolled back like a scroll, right? Our hope is that Jesus is coming a second time. The second coming of Jesus is the foremost event yet to happen in human history. That's what we're waiting for. And so Paul says, you're waiting for Jesus to come. And so while you're waiting for him to return, right, you need to be living out now the values that will be true of, of eternity. Because your citizenship is in heaven, right? And then he says this, Paul does about Jesus, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So Paul's helping us understand that in the same way that these Philippians, many of whom were Roman citizens, embodied the values of Rome even though they lived in Greece, he's saying you need to value the culture of heaven, even though you live on earth. Because Caesar isn't coming back. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he's bringing heaven with him. Which is why Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've been thinking through what does it look like to live as a citizen of heaven here on earth? What does it mean to value the things of heaven in the context of earth? And, and today we're gonna see kind of in a shotgun format 
some very practical ways to do that. And, and so let me take you to chapter four. That's where we'll be today, verse one. This is kind of Paul's conclusion and he's wrapping up the letter now and this is gonna be kind of the main takeaway, but then he's gonna flush it out in four ways. He simply says this, so then, so then, because Jesus is coming, because when he does, he's bringing heaven with him, right? Because when he does, he's gonna transform our humble bodies into his glorious body, right? We're gonna have glorified bodies to live with him forever. Because all this is about to happen, he said, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. Don't let persecution change you. Don't let opposition change you. Don't let the lust of the flesh, don't let the lust in the world, don't, don't let the pride of the world, don't let the temporal material things of the world lead you astray from following Jesus. Set your eyes on your Savior. He's coming soon. When he does, he's, gonna, he, he, he's going to radically change us forever and he's bringing heaven to earth. He's establishing a new heavens and a new earth that will never end. And so live as a citizen of that kingdom now, embody those values now and stand firm no matter what you face because your savior is coming, stand firm. So if you're taking notes, just a simple takeaway today. Listen, this is the main thing Paul's communicating. We are called to stand firm as we wait for our savior. We gotta stand firm. It will not surprise you to know that our culture and our present world has a different value system than our future reality. Therefore, we have to stand firm. One of the takeaways for this series that you've seen in our video intros is this painting that a member of our team painted a couple of months ago. You see here, the imagery of a crown that's referenced throughout Paul's letter to Philippi, but it's a crown, of course, that's ultimately given to Jesus, but it's a crown that is his because of his humility. We see this in chapter two, the fact that he first wore a crown of thorns and he gave his life for us is what enables him for all of eternity to wear a crown of glory. And, and we've talked about, and maybe if you're new or this is your first or second week with us, listen, we've talked early in this series about how, you know, when you're doing a painting, there's just individual brush strokes and there's maybe paint splatter. That's kind of a cool thing now, apparently. I don't know. You know, but, but like when you're putting something together at first, it may not look very beautiful, but when you step back and you see the completed work, it does. And that is exactly how God's working in our lives. There's individual brush strokes and there's splotches of paint that individually don't look very good. Maybe you've been through something in your life, maybe you're going through something right now and it's cause for wavering or it's cause for doubting or it's cause of frustration or grief or mourning or confusion. And, and, and there are these brush strokes that we all deal with from time to time on the canvas of our lives that don't make a lot of sense to us. But rest assured, this is what Paul is saying. Jesus is about to come back. And when he does, he's not coming as a humble servant. He's coming as a conquering king. And everything that you're enduring and everything that you're going through is going to be made right and you're gonna be rewarded. We talked about that last week for all that 
that you're doing in faithfulness to the Lord. And so now Paul's saying here, you can just see at the end of the letter, okay, listen, because Jesus is coming, because he's coming with a crown of righteousness and he's coming to give crowns to those who love him and follow him, right? Like just, just, just take inventory, like look at the whole of what God is doing. I promise you, here's what Paul is saying, what God is doing in your life is good. So you got to stand firm. You gotta stand firm in the Lord because he is painting a beautiful picture on the canvas of your life and he's preparing you for the day when your citizenship will be processed (laughs) and we will spend forever in the new heavens and new earth with Jesus. Live as a citizen of heaven. Now, as we get into chapter four here, I wanna show you four ways we do that. It's probably the case that all four of these may not immediately apply to your life right now, but I promise you at least one of them does at least one of the four. And so I'm gonna hit these briefly, okay? These aren't like fully developed thoughts here. Paul's kind of hitting quickly just some key things as he comes to the end of the letter. And, and what I love about it is he touches on some very practical things that I promise you every single one of us are wrestling with in some form or fashion. He's gonna give us four quick hitters as to how we stand firm in the Lord. And so maybe not all four of these apply to your life today, but I promise at least one of them does, all right? And whenever I hit one that applies to your spouse, if you would, just go ahead and point that out to them, okay? Let's just, let's just do it that way. Make sure no one misses anything here. All right, so, so let me give you these four, okay? Write these down. First of all, Paul's gonna say, you wanna stand firm in the Lord. Here's how we do it. We have to work together for unity. You have to work together for unity. You gotta do it together. Now, he's already talked about this in chapter two. If you remember, he's talking about complete my joy by being of the same mind, by embodying the humility of Jesus, right? The, the, the service of Jesus to others. So he's very concerned here in Philippi that the church does not have a fractured witness. And, and so he, he's gonna say this again, but listen, what he does here, I'm telling you, is very unique. Only place in the New Testament we see this happen. He's gonna call out two specific members of the fellowship who had such a rift that it was impacting the effectiveness of the church. So I wanna take you back 2,000 years ago in the house churches of Philippi and the elders are in these house churches. They say, we have a letter that we're passing around from our beloved Paul, right? Epaphroditus was a man who went to Paul. He comes back, he's got this letter. You guys, we have a word directly from Paul and everybody's in these house churches excited, can't wait to hear what Paul is gonna say including two women named Yodia and Syntyche. And they're there, because as we're gonna see here, they're leaders in the church. And then here's what they heard. Are you ready for this? I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And I ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. You have to work together for unity. Now, I just wanna take you back 2,000 years. Can you imagine being either Yodia or Syntyche? (laughs) That's a bad deal. Because think about this, for all eternity... we will know these women for the fact that they couldn't get along. 
Like you understand, we're gonna be in the new heavens and the new earth one day, right? And we're gonna be walking around. But hey, my, my name was Corey when I was on earth. What's your name? Oh, my name is Yodia. <laughs> oh, well, I hope I don't say anything to offend you, ma'am. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's how we know them. Now, let me give you the good, and then I'll give you the bad. Let me give you the good. The good here is multifaceted. Let me, let me give you one thing that stands out to us. Christianity has always valued women. Have always valued women. Paul would not have singled these two women out in his letter to be read publicly and preserved for all of human history if they weren't vitally important to the ministry in Philippi. And I want you to understand, if you're new to Christianity and you're new to evangelical Christianity, okay, I just want you to understand, it's, it's in the gospel of Jesus that you find value for every human person, regardless of gender or race, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the great unifier because all of us, regardless of race or gender, have sinned before a holy God, and all of us are in need of redemption, and all of us can only find it in Jesus, and when we find it in Jesus, and then we gather together every single week to make his kingdom our priority, we do it together. Nobody around here cares about any of those secondary things, right? Like, we have one gospel, one savior, we serve one church, it's his, not ours. And, and what you find even 2,000 years ago in a culture that largely devalued women is that Christianity elevated women and some of the most strategic leaders of the church were women. So much so that Paul actually calls them out in this letter. Say, why does he do that? Because he valued them, they were important. And this rift between them was dangerous. It threatened their collective witness. So Paul calls them out. I want you to see the positive in that. The positive is we actually see these leaders as incredibly important. Now the negative is there was some type of rift between them that was developing into factions. And here's what we know to be true, okay? There's no meaningful witness without a united fellowship. A fractured witness is an ineffective witness. If we all run around here talking about like the unity of the gospel and the power of the gospel to unite us, but yet we're fractured, like that, that sends a very mixed message, right? So Paul's like, okay, we've got this potential faction in Philippi, so he actually, by name, of course, it's in a loving way, he's saying to the fellowship, y'all need to come alongside of them, you guys. Don't let this fester. Don't let it get worse. Don't let this lead to division. You're threatening your witness. Listen, you got enough pressure and enough opposition and enough dangers from the outside world. You don't need to be messing this up from the inside. You gotta work together for unity. Come alongside of each other and help each other Strive hand in hand, arm in arm for the power of the gospel. You can't do that if you're divided, right? I think if this were in our culture, maybe Yodia and Syntyche would have these social media threads against each other <laughs> that others would be like commenting on. And you know what I mean? And like Paul's like, hey, listen, you guys come alongside of these sisters and help them to agree in the Lord. They don't have to be besties. You know, like, you don't have to be best friends, but, but like, man, come on. We're gonna spend eternity together. You know, come, come, come on. And, 
and unity is something, listen to me very carefully, unity is something you always have to work at. It doesn't just happen. Now, those of you who are married know this, okay? The one time in my 25-year marriage that I messed up, okay, <laughs> I learned you have to work at unity, right? I mean, I, that one time years ago, I had to apologize, okay? There's been a lot of times my wife's had to apologize to me, a lot. <laughs> so, what, you don't think I'm telling the truth on here? So... Maybe we should have her testify. Oh, I only have one microphone. Sorry, maybe another week. Maybe another week. No, no. Hey, isn't it true? Like, if you're married, okay, like, you gotta work at unity. Like, you don't naturally drift toward togetherness. Like, there are times you have to work on it. You have to humble yourself. You have to own something, repent of something. Not, I'm sorry if you took that the wrong way. You may be thinking that, but you don't ever say that, okay? Like, you just gotta own it, right? There's times you have to apply the grace of God to a hurt. You gotta work at it. Like, like if you're not married and you plan to be married one day, I know you're thinking you're gonna be the exception to the rule. You're not. You're gonna hate your spouse at some point. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm exaggerating, okay? You have to work at it. Now, if that's true of the person in your life that you love the most, how much more is that gonna be true of other people with whom you will share eternity but you don't love as much as you love your spouse? You gotta work at it. And um, I, I just want you to see the significance of what Paul is saying here, right? He's like, stand firm in the Lord. You live in this society as citizens of heaven, right? We're bringing heaven to earth, that's our goal. We're embodying the values of heaven even in this earthly context. And so listen, is this not true? We have enough pressure, enough opposition. Um, man, we, we have enough temptation, enough struggle to where we don't need to be struggling with each other. <laughs> so Paul's like, stand firm in the Lord and come alongside each other whenever you know there's, a, there's something that's off and not right. And, and man, help each other toward this end. Jesus gave us a means of conflict resolution. The New Testament highlights that if it's something doctrinal or something related to the gospel, there may be a point we just gotta set someone out of the fellowship of the church if they don't believe the gospel anymore. That we have these mechanisms, but, but, but when we're talking about secondary things, like, like we gotta come alongside of each other and help one another work through the emotions of disagreement at times. Okay, let me just tell you this. I, I met with someone this week, okay? He's kind of an expert in human behavior. And um, here's what this person told me. It was very fascinating. He, he said, you know what? Since COVID, there have been trends and patterns in our society that are incredibly unhealthy. People are losing their minds like never before. And I thought, and I actually said this, I thought we were the only ones who saw that. <laughs> you know, like, man, it's just kind of in our world right now. So, so you know what I thought of as I was having this conversation with this specialist? how much more of an opportunity is it for the church to display what it looks like to come alongside of people who share the same value system and the same future, even though we may disagree on other things? Because the world is not able to do that. And that's true today, and it was true 2,000 years ago. Let me give you an example, okay? Last year I told you this, I just wanna reinforce it again today because I came out of Publix yesterday and the Girl Scout cookies are back, <laughs> okay? 
So I just want to give you, if y'all are new to the church, I want to give you an example of what this looks like, okay? I am joined by a few people here, not a lot, but a few who understand this is the truth, okay? I'll take you to the chapter and verse later, okay? Thin mints are the best Girl Scouts cookie, okay? That's just the way it is, okay? I'm not asking for a survey. I did that with Pepsi and Coke and y'all lost your minds and <laughs> illustrated what demon possession looks like. I might even go in there, okay? I'm just gonna flat out tell you, no show of hands, okay? Thin mints are the best Girl Scouts cookie, okay? Hands down, okay? I had to give my social security yesterday when I bought some cookies because I had to have a credit check. That's how many boxes I bought, okay? I had to borrow money to buy Thin Mints, okay? They had to literally go back to their supply of boxes to bring more Thin Mints back to the table because I bought them all. And then my wife comes after me out of the store and because I had to get there first to buy the number I wanted to buy, forgiveness, not permission. And <laughs> she buys like the plain ones. I forget what they're called. They're just... The plain ones. Yeah, short, shortbread. You know what they're short on? Flavor, okay? <laughs> That's why they call them shortbread, okay? Now, now, is she wrong in that? Yes. Do I love her? Yes. Are we united? Yes. That is an example of Christian unity. Okay, there you go, right there. That's it. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like, right there. All right. <laughs> so, of course, we disagree on different things around here, right? Of course we disagree on different things. Of course we have different preferences on things. I do too. You know, not everything about Bell Shoals meets my preferences, you know. Um, like not every person is gonna be my best friend or your best friend, okay? We can't have 4,000 best friends. But here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, stand firm in the Lord because you have, and we have collectively, an opponent that is not of flesh and blood. And we're engaged in a battle that is not of a physical nature. And we're struggling, all of us, with some temptations and desires that could wreck our lives and families. And the value system of our society is not trending in the right direction. And we're trying to raise our children and grandchildren in a way that honors King Jesus. And it's getting increasingly more difficult to do that. And here's what Paul said 2,000 years ago that's true of us today. Okay, listen to me. We need each other. We need each other. And so let me just say one more thing here. And then I'm gonna have to go more fast before the. <laughs> but this is important. We just had our largest movement weekend in the history of Bell Shoals. We had more students here than at any point in our 63-year history at Bell Shoals. Okay, let me tell you this, listen to me. We're reaching more people in person at Bell Shoals than at any time in our history. We're reaching more people online than at any point in our history. We're seeing more people sent out, more mission teams this year ramping up than in recent memory. Let me tell you something, okay? The Lord is doing a work here at Bell Shoals. And this is not a work related to one person. This is not a work that's related to just one aspect or dynamic. Let me tell you something. God is at work in our faith family. And whenever God is building something up from within, you can expect attacks from without. That was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. Paul says... Stand firm in the Lord. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you work together for unity. 
you need each other. The fellowship of each other, that's what we talked about last week. Man, get in a life group, get in a D group, serve in one of our ministry areas. Man, we need each other, right? So you gotta work together for unity. We need each other. And then secondly, here's what he says, okay, kind of shotgun here. Second way you stand firm, rejoice in the Lord. Man, you're gonna face some difficult circumstances. Man, you're gonna face some difficult seasons. You're gonna deal with difficult people. Here's what Paul says, stand firm in the Lord by working together for unity, come alongside of each other and then rejoicing in the Lord at all times. Okay, in fact, here, here's the way he says it right here. He says, rejoice in the Lord, verses four and five, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice and let your graciousness be known to everyone for the Lord is near. Do you get this theme? Can you just, can you just feel the theme? Man, it's like, man, he's coming. The Lord is near. Heaven's coming to earth. Live as a citizen of heaven. Stand firm in the Lord. Work together. For unity, man, come on, forgive each other, tolerate each other, encourage each other, serve together. Come on, work together for unity and then rejoice in the Lord always. I emphasize in the Lord because Paul does not say rejoice in your circumstances. He doesn't say rejoice in your cancer. He doesn't say rejoice in your job loss. He doesn't say rejoice in your wayward child. He says, no matter what circumstances you're in, you rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is unchanging. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a hope and a joy that's connected to someone that's outside of your circumstances, that's greater than your circumstances. And he's like, listen, we have this collective hope that we rejoice in the Lord. No matter how bad it hurts, no matter how deep the questions are doubt, Paul's like, you wanna stand firm, man, get connected to this fellowship, get connected to Christian community, work together for unity, encourage one another in the Lord, and then rejoice in the Lord. Just, just keep fixing your minds here to this simple truth that God loves you, God's accepted you, God uh, has gifted you, God has empowered you, God is in control of all of your circumstances. He's promised to provide for your every need and he's got you. And so rejoice in the Lord, not your circumstances, in the Lord. One of the most powerful examples of this, I've shared this with you before, but if you're new to Bell Shoals, I want you to see this. It goes all the way back, really, to the patriarchs of Israel, all the way back to Jacob and Leah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, if you remember, was, um, was in love with a, a woman named Rachel. Rachel was described in the Old Testament as shapely and beautiful. Leah was her sister, and Leah is described as being beautiful challenged, which is a very nice way of saying she was ugly, <laughs> okay? She just, she just wasn't very attractive. And um, here's what happened. Jacob was a deceiver, and he himself was deceived in this way, the night that he thought he was marrying Rachel, um, his father-in-law actually gave him Leah and he woke up the morning after his first honeymoon night with Leah in his bed, not Rachel. Hashtag, oh, snap. <laughs> That's some messed up stuff right there. And um, now, now lean in here. Put yourself in Leah's situation. I just want you to feel the, oh my goodness, the um, gravity of this. Leah lived the rest of her life unloved by her husband. Don't just read through that on a page. She lived her entire life unloved by her husband. 
he eventually marries Rachel, who he loved. Now she's living in an environment, she's unloved by her husband and she's tormented by the one that he does love because she's married to him also. But the Lord was with Leah. And there was a growing sense of, of this in her life. Let me show it to you. Genesis 29. Now, when the Lord saw that Leah was neglected, he opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to conceive. And Leah conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, man, can you not just feel her, the depth of her pain? The Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. But he didn't. And so she conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, the Lord heard that I'm neglected and has given me this son also. And so she named him Simeon. But Jacob still did not love her. And so she conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore he was named Levi and Jacob did not love her. Now, there are three verses of Scripture that cover many, many years of her devastation. Are you with me? Years are passing by from one verse to the next. But let me show you this. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and she said, this time I will praise the Lord. How good is that? This time I will tether my identity to the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord no matter what my husband does or doesn't do. This time I will honor him, love him, and, and receive his good blessings into my life for I know that he is with me. This time I will praise the Lord. She named him Judah, and by the way, that is whom the Lord chose to bring the messianic line. And so I just want you to understand, if you're here today and you're like, oh, rejoice in the Lord. That's so, no, 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 listen. Paul does not say this flippantly. There have been people all throughout human history who know and love the Lord, who have dealt with devastating circumstances. And Paul's not being flippant about that. He's saying to us that in these moments, no matter how good or bad that we, that, that, that we like uh, have our, uh, I don't know, devotion diverted, right? He's just like, man, just, just, just rejoice in the Lord. If you're going through a season of blessing, don't rejoice in your blessings. Rejoice in the Lord. If you're going through a season like Leah, don't, 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 don't cave to, 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 to the negativity and the discouragement. No, no, rejoice in the Lord. He's got a great plan for your life. He's got a great future for you and your family. He's coming back to establish a new heaven and a new earth. He's gonna give us glorified bodies to, 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 to live forever with him. And Paul's like, rejoice in the Lord. Third, he says this, replace worry with prayer. Replace worry with prayer. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what he says. Similar to rejoicing, right? He's like, hey, tether your devotion to Jesus. You know what worry is? Worry is what reveals what you and I are most devoted to. None of you got up this morning worrying about 
who my children are dating. And if you did, you are really weird. <laughs> if any of you got up this morning and thought, man, I wonder who Pastor Corey's kids are dating and how those relationships are going. You are crazy, okay? You didn't get up today like worried, anxious. Nobody emailed me today like, I just cannot get over this worry. You gotta tell me who your kids are dating. None of you got up this morning worried about my 401k or anyone else, right? You don't worry about the things that in some form or fashion you're not devoted to. You worry about the things that you're devoted to and what you worry about reveals what you're most devoted to. And the difference between, I just wanna be clear here, worry, okay, and concern is worry is a concern that begins to control you. And that's why Paul says, you got to not just tell yourself not to worry, you have to replace worry with prayer. Because here's what prayer does. Prayer is a means of diverting your devotion away from your circumstances to the God who loves you and controls them. You see, prayer is a shifting of trust. Not that we aren't rightly concerned about things, but that our lives are not governed by the things we worry about. No, our greatest devotion is to the Lord. We know that he loves us and cares for us and is providing for us. And so Paul, in essence, says you gotta divert your devotion away from these circumstances that you need to be like, focused on and involved with, but, but not worried about to the sense that they control you. In other words, it's kind of like a sailboat, right? Listen, the sail of your life is the emotions. The rudder is your will. And Paul's saying through prayer and seeking the Lord and leaning into his providence and character, you set the rudder of your life in such a direction that it tells your emotions where you're gonna go. Here's where most people live. I think you'd agree with this. They let their, the, their emotions are their rudder. When your emotions are your rudder, watch out. Paul's not saying don't be concerned about meaningful things in your life. He's saying don't be controlled by them. The rudder of your life is your will. Your will through prayer is tethered to the Lord and that governs your emotions. So last, he says, here's, here's how he concludes. Last, last way we stand firm, think about worthy things. Think about worthy things. He says, finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Let me just say this, okay, and we're gonna wrap up. We have more distractions today than at any point in human history. And listen, lean in here. Most of our distractions are negative in nature. Social media is a cesspool of negativity. Uh, most of what we have around us now is um, some type of justification for immorality. Our society glorifies things that are destructive. And I, I just want you to see how beautiful this is that Paul says in a Roman culture, which by the way, valued the same types of things. Whatever is true, Right, whatever is worthy, right, honorable, just, pure, would you just set your mind on these things? He says this in 2 Corinthians 10, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but, the pow but are powerful through God for the, 
demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so how do we stand firm? Well, we gotta, we gotta work together for unity. We need each other, right? We, um, we rejoice in the Lord. We replace worry with prayer and we, man, we just dwell on, think on worthy things. Now, let me ask you this. Which one of those has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about today? There's gotta be one. There's gotta be one. There's gotta be at least one of those where you're like, yes, Lord, I need to lean in here and I, I, need, I need your grace and your help in this situation. And, and I just want you to know, we're here at Bell Shoals, come alongside of you in that. The Lord loves you so much. He's got a great plan for your life. And um, here's our aim to help you live now as a citizen of heaven and be ready for the day when our Lord returns. Because Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And when he comes, he's bringing heaven with him. And we're gonna live now the way we're gonna live then, right? And so um, let me ask you to stand with me. and. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us as we close out our service today. And as you leave, um, I'll be here at the front. I'd love to connect with you if I can encourage you in any way. Our team will be at our round tables out in the lobby and we'd love just to help you take your next step in any of these four areas or in an area that's not even covered today. And um, we look forward to seeing what the Lord's gonna continue to do. All right, so let's pray together. We dismiss. So Father, we, we, we pray that... Um, these truths would not easily leave our minds this week. God, I pray this week that we will be men and women who are living in a way that's worthy of our citizenship, that's aligned with our citizenship. God, in a world that's so hostile and in a world that's so strongly opposed to what's true and good and right and lovely and beautiful, God, help us to come alongside each other in a spirit of unity and togetherness as we serve you and as we send out missionaries all around the world. God, help us, I pray this week, to rejoice in you. Lord, we confess, some of us, there are things in our lives that are burdensome, troublesome. God, we carry griefs and sorrows. I just pray that this week, by your grace, we would rejoice in you and lean into your love. God, I pray that this week you'll help us to be more diligent in prayer. God, to, to shift our devotion away from our circumstances back to you and to trust in your providence in our lives. And then finally, God, I pray that just in our minds each day we'll get up and God, you'll give us this reminder to think on and dwell on that which is good and beautiful. God, with what we listen to and what we see and God, just what goes through our mind, help us to take every thought captive for your glory and our good. So Lord, in these ways, we just pray that we would stand firm, be counted faithful, and that we would make a difference for you in the days to come. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.